Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Thursday, December 29th, 2022. It's been 3,228 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 309 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War update is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Command South of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Some quick housekeeping. We'd like to remind our listeners that our team will be taking a well-deserved break for a few days, so we will not be publishing new episodes on December 31st or January 1st, and we will be focusing on special reports in the first week of January. Our full situation reports and regular update podcasts will start up for 2023 on January 11th. Of course, if there are any major developments during that time, we'll jump in with coverage and analysis. With that out of the way, let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, we assess there is growing strife in the Kremlin and the Russian Ministry of Defense between several factions that are engaging in a power struggle. Second, our assessment that large-scale punitive missile strikes would continue with a heightened risk during the traditional holiday season was accurate. We maintain that additional attacks are highly likely through January 7, 2023. Third, We maintain that Russia will not stop until the Ukrainian electrical grid and natural gas network are completely destroyed, or Russia's supply of missiles and drones is exhausted. Fourth, we maintain that there is a risk of a nuclear accident caused by the de-energization of Ukrainian nuclear power plants as a result of Russian electrical infrastructure destruction. Fifth, while weather-dependent, we maintain the possibility of Russia, Ukraine, or both launching significant offensive operations on New Year's Day or January 7, 2023, which is Orthodox Christmas. Sixth, we maintain that the commander of all Russian forces in Ukraine, Army General Sergei Sadovyakin, is under increasing pressure to create progress on the battlefield. Seventh, we maintain there will be a second wave of partial mobilization in the Russian Federation in January or February 2023. Eighth, Despite increasing rhetoric, we maintain that the threat of Russian forces in Belarus crossing into Ukraine as part of a major offensive operation is a remote possibility during the winter months. Ninth, we maintain that Russian President Vladimir Putin is attempting to shift criticism leveled at the Kremlin from the Milblogger community to the Ministry of Defense, despite his direct involvement in day-to-day decisions on the battlefield. Tenth, We maintain that neither belligerent will enter an operational pause over the winter. Eleventh, we maintain that the Russian military within Ukraine is combat ineffective, 
and can only mount effective defensive operations. And finally, we maintain that Ukraine holds the battlefield initiative, forcing Russian troops to remain in a defensive posture along most of the front lines. Let's get some regional updates, starting with the Donbass region in Luhansk. On the Svatova axis, Ukrainian forces made significant gains, continuing to advance on the P-7 highway towards Svatova. In our assessment, Ukrainian troops hold military control of Novoselivske and are effectively holding Russian forces in the eastern part of Kuzemivka. Members of the Ukrainian 92nd Mechanized Brigade, supported by pro-Ukrainian Belarusian volunteers, liberated Pitkuychansk and advanced south to Kolomichicha, which we consider contested. The advance was almost 5 kilometers in 24 to 48 hours, and there were no reports of fighting around Stelmachivka. Ukrainian forces are now 11 kilometers from the center of Svatova in two directions, and Russian forces holding Rajkharotka are at risk of getting squeezed into a salient. If Ukrainian forces can reach Zemivka, the terrain will become more favorable for the Ukrainian advance. Some assessment here. After stabilizing the line of conflict, Ukrainian artillery units can bring the Russian P-66 highway ground line of communication, called a G-lock, that's a supply line, between Nizhnya Duvanka and Svatova under fire control, severing the G-lock from Voloiki, Russia. This will leave the P-7 highway G-lock to Sadobilsk as the last major supply line to the critical Russian transit hub. The Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, Joint Center of Control and Coordination, or JCCC, reported that Svatova came under heavy artillery fire. On the Kremina axis, the effort to push Ukrainian forces away from Ploshanka failed. Russian forces launched an intense attack in an attempt to recapture Chervonopopivka, which also failed. Mercenaries with Wargonzo reported intense fighting on the P-66 highway in the eastern part of the town. Southwest of Kremina, fighting continued northeast of Dibrova, with Ukrainian forces taking Russian prisoners of war near the city. On the Lysychansk axis, Ukrainian forces liberated the second water pumping station in eastern Bilohorivka, the one in Luhansk, pushing Russian forces further back. In northeast Donetsk, on the Lysychansk axis, Russian forces made another attempt to advance on Spirna without success. There were several unsubstantiated reports of significant Russian gains east, southeast, and south of Bakhmut and into Solidar. Ukrainian Major General Kirill Budinov, the head of the Main Defense Intelligence Directorate, or GUR, visited the front lines in Bakhmut, approximately 600 meters from the mattress factory. It is highly unlikely that PMC Wagner made significant gains, given Budinov's visit and how close he came to where we believe Russian forces are located. On the Solidar axis, fighting continued on the northern edges of Yakovlivka, with private military company or PMC Wagner Group contained to the town. In Solidar, mercenaries with Rybar claimed PMC Wagner advanced deeper into the city from the Naufgyps sheetrock factory, while Wargonzo reported there were no gains and Ukrainian forces launched a counteroffensive in the northeastern part of the city in the direction of Stripivka. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported that Ukrainian troops successfully defended their positions. So, with three sources and three different versions of the truth, we went ahead and left the map unchanged. 
Fighting continued in the center of Bakhmutska, with no change in the situation. On the Bakhmut axis, little has changed north and east of the city. Wagner mercenaries attempted to push past the gas station at the T-1302 and M-3, or E-40, highway interchange south of Pirkhorodne, and were unsuccessful. On the eastern edge of Bakhmut, Wargonzo wrote, quote, On the eastern outskirts of Bakhmut itself, PMC Wagner is no longer doing very well. End quote. Zemyon Pegov is on a Kremlin committee to provide a conduit for information on problems that Russian troops are facing on the front lines. While Pegov has provided more reliable intelligence than many other Russian mill bloggers, he may be engaging in Ministry of Defense-directed information warfare against PMC Wagner. We will be analyzing their reports and posts to see if Wargonzo starts to call out Wagner's failures and shortcomings more often. The GSAFU reported once again that Ukrainian troops successfully defended their positions. PMC Wagner and Ukrainian forces continue to fight in Opitne, with Ukrainian troops gaining one or two blocks east of the hospital, where house-to-house fighting continues. South of Bakhmut, PMC Wagner launched a significant attack toward Klishivka and made marginal gains. Rybar claimed, without evidence, that Wagner retook some positions east of the settlement that they lost last week. The GSAFU reported that Russian advances in the area of Andreevka were repulsed. PMC Wagner attempted to cross the canal near Kurdyumivka and was unsuccessful. Geolocated video showed Russian positions in Ozaryanivka being shelled near the canal. We've coded the settlement under Russian control based on the new intelligence. Rybar shared a video of the sounds of secondary explosions in Kostyantanivka, southwest of Bakhmut, indicating a Ukrainian ammunition depot was struck. Some assessment here. Just like in Luhansk, attacks on Ukrainian positions are no longer battalion or company-sized and are done by squads and platoons. This indicates that PMC Wagner mercenary units currently deployed on the Solidar-Bakhmut axis are becoming, or already are, combat ineffective and are in need of rotation. Despite the strong push to the south of Bakhmut, this supports our earlier assessment that Russian forces have reached a culmination point, with the overall operational tempo slowing down on the axis. In southwest Donetsk, on the Toretsk axis, Wargonzo reported a new attempt by the 1st Army Corps of the Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, to advance into Oleksandropil to secure the H-20 highway, without success. DNR forces made a renewed push on the Avdiivka axis, attacking in three directions. To the north, a Russian attempt to advance to the H-20 highway at Kamyanka was unsuccessful. After a significant overnight artillery barrage, one of the only ones done by Russian forces, a direct assault was attempted on Avdiivka. DNR separatists suffered heavy losses and retreated to their defensive lines. To the south, elements of the 1st Army Corps continued their attempts to advance into Vodyana, perpetually without success. An attempted advance by Russian forces into Pervomaiske using a column of infantry fighting vehicles, or IFV, turned into a disaster, with the 1st Army Corps suffering massive losses. There was positional fighting south and east of Nevelske, with no change in the situation. On the Marenka axis, there was only positional fighting and another failed attempt to advance on Pobida. 
on the Volodar axis, another attempt by the First Army Corps to advance on Novomikhailivka ended without glorious success. The Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, claimed that Ukrainian forces attempted to advance out of Volodar without success, but did not specify if the direction was toward Pavlivka or Mikilsky. No other source, Russian or Ukrainian, reported fighting in the area. The Russian MOD also reported a failed Ukrainian advance on Volodymyrivka without any evidence. The GSAFU reported that Russian forces attempted to advance on Zolotaniva from Novodonetsk without success. I feel like I'm sensing a theme here. Moving on to Kherson and Zaporizhia. There was mutual shelling on the west and east banks of the Dnipro, with Russian forces conducting 50 fire missions on free Ukraine, wounding three people. Almost half of the attacks were directed at Kherson, targeting civilians and civilian infrastructure, including a hospital and a kindergarten. Ukrainian forces shelled and used rockets fired by HIMARS on Russian positions in Oleshki, Kohovka, Novokohovka, Chaplinka, and Radensk. The GSAFU claimed the strike on Chaplinka killed up to 50 Russian soldiers. In Hanichesk on the Azov Sea, and less than 30 kilometers from the Crimea administrative border, insurgents placed signs and warnings to Russian troops that they were being monitored and would be targeted for assassination. There was no change in the status of the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, and still no update on the status of negotiations for demilitarization. HIMARS and artillery strikes in Tokmak, Polohi, and Tarasivka wounded up to 150 Russian troops and destroyed an S-300 anti-aircraft missile complex. Otherwise, Russia and Ukraine exchanged sporadic artillery fire from the Zaporizhia-Donetsk administrative border to Huliapola to Orihiv. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, Russia launched a massive missile strike on Ukraine, including from three vessels of the Black Sea fleet. At the time of recording, the final tally was 69 missiles launched and 54 intercepted by Ukrainian air defenses. In Stepova, Odessa, parts of a destroyed Russian cruise missile struck civilian housing. Ukrainian officials reported that 21 cruise missiles were intercepted and five struck targets in Odessa during this morning's attack. DTEK reported that the electrical grid was intentionally de-energized to prevent excessive damage if the electrical infrastructure were to be successfully hit. Also in Odessa, the statue of Catherine the Great was removed from public display to be placed in a museum at a later date. The head of the Russian Council of the Ministers of Crimea reported that truck traffic will be restored on the Kerch Bridge in March 2023, and the recently repaired lanes are open to car and bus traffic. In western and central Ukraine, in Dnipropetrovsk, five Iranian-sourced Shahed-136 kamikaze drones were shot down. Russia launched between 16 and 20 drones across Ukraine yesterday, with air defenses intercepting all of the UAVs. DTEK also de-energized the power grid in Dnipropetrovsk as well as in the Zhitomir Oblast. At the time of recording, it was reported that an electrical substation in Lviv was hit and power was out in 90% of the city. The water service was also interrupted due to the wide-scale Russian missile attack this morning. 
There were reports of multiple explosions and at least 10 missiles targeting the city. In north and northeast Ukraine, multiple cruise missiles were intercepted over Kyiv this morning, and Shahed-136 kamikaze drones were intercepted near Chernobyl yesterday. At least five people were injured by missile debris that struck Osokorki and the Darnitsia district of Kyiv. At the time of recording, residents were asked to stay in bomb shelters, quote, until further notice, due to the high risk of continued missile strikes. At least one Russian cruise missile struck Sumy this morning, with no additional information at the time of recording. Sumy Oblanerjo reported the company intentionally de-energized the power grid to prevent additional damage to the system if there were additional Russian missile strikes. In Kharkiv, the Slobidsky district was hit by multiple missiles, likely S-300 anti-aircraft missiles used for ground attack in concert with the larger nationwide cruise missile attack this morning. The metro system had been shut down, and residents were told to stay in bomb shelters until further notice. On the Russian front, at the time of recording, there were reports of air defenses in Bilgorod being activated. It's unclear if the missiles being fired are targeting Ukraine, if Ukraine launched a counterstrike on Bilgorod, or if Russian air defenses are inadvertently targeting their own cruise missiles. Again. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.